best podcast in Long Beach, California. This is Tacos and Workouts. Yo, what it is, what it is. Welcome to the best podcast in Long Beach, California. I am your host, Mr. Tacos and Workouts. And here's the man that needs no introduction, the legend himself, Mellow Mayonnaise. Peace, 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 world. It's a trip to be on the other side <laughs> of, of, this, of this particular studio. But nah, man, good looking out. Um, it's good to be here. Yeah, man. You know what? Uh, I, I reached out to you, and, uh, and I'm happy that that you, uh, you know, uh, were able to 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 make it, man. Um, you know, a big fan, and uh, um, you. you are the godfather of Latin uh, hip hop, uh, Latin rap. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of people don't know that that you're you're the uh, originator, I'm the, the founder the... and creator. Uh, well, you know, the movement. Absolutely, there was one other guy that I know, is which is where I, I saw my future. Um, this was in the early 1980s, a guy by the name of Mr. Schick of the Mean Machine. The record was called Disco Dream, and uh, they let him rap toward the end of the song. He did like an eight, 12-bar rap in Spanish. And um, soon after, they got dropped off the label, and I never heard back from them again as a group or him. And in 1987, when I had a chance to sign my first record deal, I said, I want to pick up that torch and add on to it and uh, we proceeded to take this shit global yeah man because uh you know um for the most part it was all english right there was not no no actual like uh, latino representation in that well in terms of speaking in spanish on record um this is where a lot of people get things um can we curse on your show are we fucking around or... <laughs> I, I guess so i mean you right. know. well i just talk how i talk and yeah let's do it um you know, I think people get it fucked up when they think that there were no Latinos in hip hop. Uh -huh. That's not that's not true. That's, that's not, not accurate. There was, you know, countless B boys. Almost all of Rocksteady crew was B boys, and they were all Puerto Rican. M many of them, um, Cuban, as well, and Dominicans. Mainly the B boys. But when it came to the rapping and the DJs, there's some as well, and. I'll name them for you so you can research them. Um, Prince Whipple Whip of the Romantic Fantastic Five. You had uh, Ruby D, also a Fantastic Romantic. Um, then you had guys like DJs like DJ Charlie Chase, Puerto Rican. You had DJs like my man DJ Disco Wiz, half Puerto Rican, half Cuban. Um, do the knowledge on these guys, man. These guys are forefathers, founding pioneers. Of, of hip hop culture from the 1970s. And you, you that's the blueprint for a lot of the guys my age who, who would come in that second and third wave. Um, and myself, you know, really kicking off the 90s, um, which is considered the golden era of hip hop. When you think about, you know, records like mine and Kid Frost and Lighter Shade of Brown, a little bit later, Cypress Hill and, and many others, you know, um, Cycle Realm and them dudes. The beat nuts, shit like that. Yeah, man. Um, how many albums did you studio albums did you do? I think I have seven. Wow. I think I have seven, but I had a seven album deal on Capitol Records, and I tapped out on my way to my third album. Shit was getting real funky, um, but I had a seven album deal. I just wanted to be traded, you know what I mean, to another team, to another label. Mm -hmm. um, things were getting really weird in Capitol. After the MC Hammer scandal, a lot of things rocked the building. 
Um, and that was a, an album pivotal for me because my budget was going to be a half a million. Um, I had sold so many records that which each album I was, my, my budgets were growing in increments. So it was a difficult time. I had to say goodbye. And I thought I had a favor over at Geffen Records. I'm sorry, uh, not Geffen, Virgin. Virgin uh, with my man Irving Azoff over there which is where Kid Frost was at, and he had a great relationship with Irving. And Irving, you know, he, he came down to when we did the, uh, the Lowrider record with War and Kid Frost and ALT. He had came to the video, and he loved my part so much. You know, he had told me that if you ever need a favor, you know, um, don't hesitate to call him. And when I did need a favor, he faked the funk. And anyway, it's a long story. Um, but seven studio albums, I think most of them have been independently um, put out. And I think that we had the foresight to do that. As long as your core fan base followed you, mm -hmm. you can get away with still making a living, somewhat of a living um, like that. You know what I mean? So I never stopped making music. You just had to look for it harder yeah. or deeper to find it. Yeah. Because you weren't going to hear it on, on radio stations, popular radio. Yeah, because I think a lot of artists that you don't hear um, of much, you know, um, still continue to make music, but but people yeah. don't. I mean, well, it, there's, it's it's a rabbit hole, and it's multi-layered. Here's why. The industry is an ugly business, okay? It's an ugly business, and the ugliest part of it is probably the boardroom part, and it's probably the, at radio. Um, radio is a place that won't play local artists unless they're buying into the machine, right? They got to pay for their spins and whatnot. The second part of that is that when you know that the industry is so shady and so dirty, you got to wonder why other guys continue to thrive and thrive and climb and climb and go higher when they're asked to do despicable shit to get to the next level. See, there's portals in the business, and there's portals, certain portals that you enter that are going to require certain things from you in order to get to the next level of your celebrity. And this is something really important. So for you young cats at home, pay attention and be careful what you wish for because you just might get it. And um, know that the independent route is the way to go. It really is. It takes longer. Um, you maybe have to wait to go viral to really, you know, get big money. But unless you like, you know, selling the fuck out and and doing despicable shit to get to the next level. I mean, let's face it, man. Crazy Bone, Professor Griff, guys like this have already put so many people and so many issues and so many things on the table. And I won't even say on blast, just talking some real, some real hip hop shit. And he, he you know, if you haven't seen these guys, go check them out. They're really telling you about who's the scandalous one, who did what, you know what I mean? Who does this, who enjoys this fetish um, and stuff like that. So when you get to that point and you see it, you have a choice. I had a choice. I decided to pull the fuck back. I'm, I didn't get into it for this. I got into it for the love of hip hop and culture. I felt like if I made good music, the money would be there. Um, and so you got to wonder, it made me wonder. And, you, and I think the people in general have to wonder, like, if the game is so dirty, why did you keep climbing? You know what I mean? And you should never be scared to go home, you know? 
You should never be scared to go back home and, and, and deal with it. You know what I mean? Some people are just, or they become camera whores, you know, camera whores. And even the thuggest, the thuggest of motherfuckers will do some suspect shit yeah. just to continue on their path and making it seem like they still the dude. Yeah, doing doing stuff not necessarily, um, you know, just to like you said to climb up the ladder and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of scandalous activity, man. And how how do you speak on certain some of these grimy activities without, you know, this you know dissing a certain culture of people or a certain um, demographic? Yeah, da da da. You know. But um, there's a lot of scandalous shit that goes on, man. There's a lot of ritualistic things that happen, like selling your soul and um, either, you know, ritualing out uh, in the um, in a gayish fashion. Uh, there's these things that occur. Um, and also, you know, doing the satanic rituals and things of that nature, which, you know, is all out there. And is, is, is that something that, that, that is, like, I know it's something for, like, pop and rock and roll and stuff like that but is that something like that kind of like in hip-hop like would you say it's also it's it's in it's entertainment okay it's not it's not just in one group of things it's entertainment as a whole you know um that's why i I never wanted my son kazal to do to do this um and i know the the kind of things that are asked of you so you have Lo and behold, man, I mean, there's been some of the most gangsterous dudes who said they'll never sell out, and you see them, and they're, they're Hollywood as hell now. Now, I'm talking about what they talked about on records in the 90s yeah. as opposed to what they're doing now in Hollywood, yeah. right? So when you look at that, I, I look at I stand back and I go, man, you're a scandalous brother, man. And, and, and so it's hard for me to follow certain people because I know the crunchy nasty despicable shit they had to do to get, to there. get there so i have no respect for just about anybody yeah that they did that stuff yeah you know what i usually tell people to be careful who they um you know like uh follow who they subscribe to look into people because um you know I, I'm, I'm just like starting in this podcasting thing and i really kind of see for what it is i see um some people pretending um to be one way uh on the podcast <laughs> right. but then I see them outside there and they're like, yo, man, fuck this guy. And and I'm like, whoa, that's not the guy that you're yeah. pretending to be on podcast. Like, right. what's the deal? So it's kind of yeah. like I opened my eyes a little bit to, to what yeah, it that, is. I mean, the podcasting thing is, has its own uh, subculture, right? Yeah. Um, and, and it blends with all the other parts and aspects of hip hop and music and entertainment. So you're going to get that, man, because it all filters through itself. You know what I mean? Um, and so the attitudes change and they vary depending on what that person is trying to obtain next. You feel me? Yeah. And, and you have to stay through to all that and the way people behave once a dollar is added to any situation. But there has to be like a level, like it depends. Everyone could do with, 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 with their podcast or their show, they could run it however they want. Right. right? That's not for me to say you're running it wrong or whatever. Right. I could just have my opinion. That's not something I would do. Yeah. Like, um, there was a couple of news stories where I'm not going to describe too much, but they were talking about um, certain situations related to, um, you know, violence that happens upon um, schools. Yeah. Right? Okay. 
I'm not touching that. Yeah. I'm 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 yeah, not right, I, I'm, right. I'm not I'm not gonna be making uh you know these podcasts and, and make money off 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 the situation. Yeah, it's like that's not cool. You Ethically, know? that's the right. You're doing the right thing, and then there's some people that don't have any ethics and don't have a lot of moral, you know, or a moral compass. And I think those who like to clickbait and love the clickbait thing, you know, and and they thrive. I see them. I see them thriving off the gossip and the rumorville thing, and the drama. It works, and it works for them because they're that type of person. But when you, there's a flip to that. You know, and I think it's a positive vibe and energies that you that you put out to the universe is the other side of that. People that ain't running with the rumorville and are just trying to do some good material and quality entertainment. Yeah, I think it's a it's a little bit harder for those people. It to, is to get noticed. It is. Um, but but to the people that run their show and gossip and all that chaos and stuff like yeah. that. I noticed that they don't like it when it's when it's thrust upon them. Like, oh, they don't oh, want to no, talk about not. it. They're like, oh, you're, you're you're stick with it when it comes to somebody, you know, like somebody else. But when it's yeah. it's on you, you don't want to talk Absolutely. about it. Absolutely. And and there's one there's one in, that comes to mind for me. I won't say the name, give him any plugs or any hype. Person's always uh, used to be my man, and every time he gets a chance, he's like, I'm gonna expose Mellow Man Ace. I'm like. Expose what, my dude? My, you listen to my records. My life is an open book. There's, I've already snitched on myself. You know what I mean? <laughs> what are you going to expose, my man? You know what I mean? And so I, I just laugh at these things because they do it for that sensationalism and that, and that oh, man, so, you know, so-and-so's going to throw Mellow Man Ace under the bus. You know what I mean? So they tune into this and wait and wait, and there's nothing to throw under the bus at. Cause I've already put it out there. So, so what are you gonna say about me, man? Yeah, man, it, it's that's that's a tactic, you know. But um, which you you bring a, a a cool. I'm gonna ask you the million dollar question, and 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 I'm pretty sure you're not gonna answer it. But I've always you wondered. You got cue cards. Solomon. I do. I do. I, I had to come prepared. I like you know? that, man. I might I, have to steal <laughs> that idea. Cue cards. God damn. Let's get it. Let's yeah, go, man. You know, Let's get um, right into it. The million dollar question is: Who is la mentirosa? Who is the one that did you wrong? Yeah, you want a name and everything, no, no, address, I'm, all that. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but was there was there something like a mentira? Oh, that's yeah. just oh, that's just the song that you came up. No, and no, you no. Said. There is that female, um, and early on in my you know becoming of a man and all that, you know, you start getting a little bit, you know, you start getting a little shorties on you and things like that. Back in high school, and there was this female and. I wrote the jam about her, you know, and um, it worked, you know, just telling the truth, you know, from my POV. And, um, you know, it just, it just, I think the story part of it, the storytelling part of it, us dudes can identify with it. And I think girls love it because they, you know, they know they are, you know what yeah, I mean? They yeah. know they are. They lie a lot and, and they can get tricky, you know? It's a thin line between love and hate, you know what I mean? And, I think that's where that song lives, you know. Um, you know, we were able to make a classic and an anthem with that. You know what I mean? So I think it's just the storytelling. Everybody has one. Everybody's been hurt before. Yeah. Everybody carries a scar in their heart from a certain someone. And I think that right there is what ties people in, in, in the connection to the song. Because I also tried another bilingual kind of song like that, and it didn't work. Okay. And, I, and in hindsight... I see that it didn't have a story to tell. Mm. It was just more about a braggadocious and 
thing and talking to her and the girl and yo, you're amazing, you're fly and all that, but it didn't have a story. Yeah. And I think um had I had I known then what I know now, you know, that record would have been more interesting in terms of storytelling. Yeah, because you know that song when I heard it, that was like I was like nine years old, right? Yeah. And and they played it on the radio like nonstop, right? Sure. So we would just like listen to it and we would try to sing along, right? But yeah. nine years old, it really couldn't keep up with the words. But that was the first time, like you opened up my eyes that women could sometimes do men dirty. I was like, right. what? Mm-hmm. Women could cheat on guys too. Yeah. And I'd be like, wait a minute. And then it's like, also, there's like a whole player aspect to relationships, which before, you know, I looked at my moms and my pops, right? Right. And they're all lovey-dovey. I'm like, oh, they love each other, you know? And yeah. and, and they stayed together all the way through, right? Yeah. So I didn't get to, like, witness, like, you know, like, oh, this is my my uh, stepdad or any of that. So I thought that everything was cool. But then when I, when I heard that song, I'm like, oh, there's this cheating aspect to this, you know, relationships. Yeah. Sure, sure. Interesting. Interesting, man. I mean... The nine-year-old aspect thing, I, there was fans that were younger than you, little kids, you know, to the oldest of parents. Um, I think, you know, the other thing is because it was the first of its kind for Latinos especially, it touched a certain heartstring for us all, right? Yeah. For, for the listener, because this is the first time you hear your, your, your kind of identity being re- represented yeah. on a record. And I think that was huge for not only the Latino community, of course, for me as an entertainer, um, but I think for for the people, it gave them a sense of identity. Like we ha- finally have a representative yeah. mm-hmm. in it. Yeah, I was like, hey, he's speaking in Spanish. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, like I was like, that's one of us up there, you know. It, it, right. That's exactly what I mean. You know, and up until that point, nobody was proud to say, hey, I'm Latino. And proud of it and even though i wasn't pumping my chest latino like let's say uh, a song like la raza mm-hmm. where he's where frost is saying the same for you is for us anyway this is for the raza so he kind of excluded a lot of people um other latino countries as well when you say a statement like that whereas me i just played it as an overall sense of being latino community and um so you know you never want to close doors to yourself it was a great record, but it was also very pinpointed at a certain demographic of people. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes that could stymie your growth. Yeah. How'd you get started in, in music? Like, why music? Like, what, did you know, like, at a certain age, did you say, you know what, this is what I want to do, and this is what I want my rest of, the rest of my life to be all about? Yeah, sure. Um, Look, growing up, Coming from Cuba, my grandfather was a musician. He played the stand-up bass and was the leader of the Cuban military orchestra, right? He was the band leader there. My uncle, Ul Piano, who I'm, and, and my grandfather, I'm named after them. Um, my uncle, Ul Piano, is also one hell of a trombone player, and it's still he still works at a Tocororo in Havana. Every night, 80 years old, he walks down to the club and he plays his, his set. His sons, Ivan, Ray, my cousin Ray just passed away during COVID, um, were our musicians. My cousin Ivan is a conguero. My cousin Ray, who passed on, was a trombone player, right? Their sister, Margarita, was a, a violinist. <laughs> my uncle Juan played as well. He also played a clarinet. 
right? And uh, then there's my cousin Frank from my uncle, um, my uncle um, Jesus, right? He is also a conguero. My mother was an amazing singer in Cuba, but only in the church. And a real fact is that when Celia Cruz would come to L.A., she would ask for my mom to sing for her. Wow. That's how bad my mom's voice was. So when it came to doing music, my dad didn't want us to do music, me and Sendog. He wanted us to play sports, having much foresight, knowing that the paychecks were going to be amazing if you play sports, right? And uh, But we chose music, I think, in a time where we didn't have an identity in school. We hated school. We didn't want to learn. We didn't. We were we were mischievous dudes. We we came from Cuba. And we just wanted to have fun, right? As the as we're learning this culture, the American culture, and understanding what funk music and rock and roll was, and R and B soul, and then hip hop comes in. Um, I think it w it had more of a an attachment. A, a draw for us had more of a draw and i think you know the coolness of it you know you you can practice it whenever you want you don't have to go run you know laps in the field and all that kind of stuff so the combination of poor grades hip-hop being so cool of a of a of a thing of a culture to be involved in um is what really drew me in you know what i mean and i know for my brother Sendog, it was the same thing because we experienced this thing at the same time. Yeah, um, I know you're you're ringing up your brother Sendog, and I I just recently found out I didn't know um, that that you're one of the founding members of Cypress Hill. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah, yeah. They forgot to tell that part in the documentary <laughs> that they put out recently, but um, maybe maybe it's my turn to to say to do my own documentary. We, we, we gotta let them know. We gotta Absolutely. let them know. Absolutely. Um, and you know. Um, remember, there's always two sides to every story. You know what I mean? And I haven't told my side yet. Okay. And um, so and I'm looking forward to the day that, that I get to do that. Yeah, man. Um, um, you know, and then um, I'm not going to ask too many questions about that. But there's one question that I would always, um, you know, like people would discuss. They said that the name Cypress Hill came from the city Cypress? No. Okay. No, and, no, no. and I always said, no, I don't think so. Okay. When it comes to Cypress Hill, my brother and I are the only two original founding members on that street. Here's how it happened. In 1979, my parents were able to buy our first home after coming from Cuba with the clothes on our backs, right? They buy a house on a street called Cypress Avenue in Southgate. So as the years go... You know, we start getting high and we're learning more and we're getting high and getting high. It was more of a mental aspect thing and a psychological thing against the other competition of other rappers. So we felt that we were on top of the hill uh. when we battled every other crew at that time. So being high one day, one of us decided to say, hey, man. Let's call it Cypress Hill because we're on top of the competition. Now, there happens to be a city in Brooklyn, a patch of Brooklyn called Cypress Hills, and there's a projects there, the Cypress Hill Houses, right? Now, that comes into play later for Cypress Hill, the group, because L.A. wasn't really feeling them when they first came out. 
So they went and shot the video in New York. Okay. The New Yorkers thought, hey, here's one of our own, you know, they from Cypress Hills, Brooklyn, they think. And, and the combination of Ice Cube being in New York at the time, showing up to the video helped them tremendously, you know. Um, but but the, to come up, when we came up with the Cypress Hill thing, it was just because we were high one day, nothing else. And, and it just stuck, and it worked. It, it's a good name. But going back to that video, when I seen that video, uh, and I, I, I seen um, the members dressing up like in New York attire, right. someone walking up that hill, I, I thought that, right. the, that the group originated from the East Coast. Right. And, and well, then, see, here's why. Because Cypress Hill, the group, was a big EPMD fan. And if you notice, EPMD had the bucket hats. Cypress Hill first came out. What they have the bucket hats with the big jackets and the thing, right? And that's because of their influence of EPMD into their music, and and that's why, you know, another another group that was a big influence on them was Ultra Magnetic MCs, Cool Key, Said G, Mo Love, Tr Love, uh, yeah, I believe his name is Tr Love, and those guys, and so. The other part of that is that we grew up in L.A., but we really admired more the New York style of hip-hop, okay. right? Because yeah. we always felt that if you're going to learn, you should learn from where something where is created from, from yeah. right? And not to mention that in the 80s, when we wanted to go to the jams that were in South Central L.A., whether we went to World on Wheels, who was where there was, a, that was a crip-engulfed neighborhood, rolling 60s and all these kind of cats, we had to dress a certain way, more New York, so they didn't think that we were connected to some blood or crip gang, and then we get the gun clap. So we'd go into the jams with, you know, no shoestrings in our Adidas, big bomber jackets, Kangos, and stuff like that, and they just never, they never fucked with us. And in fact, they just left us alone, and we were able to hip-hop and see groups like uh, MC Shan and uh, Roxanne Shante and... Guys like, you know, uh, Heavy D and Rest in Peace. Um, so many groups that came to L.A. at that time that we weren't able to enjoy yet live. Now they're coming, but we got to go to either World on Wheels or Skateland USA in the Blood neighborhood, South Central. Any which way you went, there was going to be clap. There's a lot of misunderstandings that took place in these two roller rinks. One was in a Crip neighborhood, the other one was in a Blood neighborhood. But the the rappers from New York weren't coming to, like, let's say, Downey. Or they wasn't coming to venues in Paramount. No, they was going in to South Central because Uncle Jam's Army was booking them. And they're a South Central DJ crew. Okay. Right? So we'd have to go over there. And I think in order for us, we were smart about it, you know, because we did have some Blood affiliations. But in order to get by in a Crip-affiliated, predominantly-owned-run world on wheels, it was vital that we dressed like New York or Puerto Rican niggas. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, to not get yourself entangled in that. Absolutely. Um, what's, the, what's your process when you're making music? Um, do you, like, think about it? Do you, you know, um, like, what is it? Most times I, I, I listen to a track first and then the lyrics come. There has been times, but not not a lot, not more than this other process of listening to the track. There's times where I've, you know, I've been on an airplane and I'll write an idea and then try to match a track to it. Um, but I think mostly, you know, I just listen to the beat. 
um, and the beat will talk to me, okay. and that's how I, how I know I want to do something to it. Yeah, that's that that's awesome. Um, what's the furthest music has taken you? Like, has it taken you overseas, or or is it just here in the states? I think. Look, I've been all over the world, but I think the furthest it's taken me was when I met Bob Hope and did a Bob Hope special. And that was a big deal to me. And even though he was an older gentleman, an actor, amazing, iconic man, it's because growing up, my mother used to watch him on TV. So the day I did the Bob Hope telethon, to me, let me know, like, my mom is watching this. You know, this is her guy. And that was a big deal to me. Of course, I've been to all the Latin countries all over the world and introduced and played a big role in ambassadoring hip-hop to Latino countries when they felt like this is a black thing to do. Why are you doing it? We'd take the time to educate them. And just like I told you here, it wasn't just black people who started hip-hop. It was Latinos as well. And I, had, and I would tell them that, and they would go like, oh, wow, we didn't know, you know? And they'd ask me these kind of, they seem a little racial racial at first when they ask you, why are you doing black music? Why aren't you doing salsa? And I would just tell them because salsa just didn't talk to me. Yeah. Even though it was Cuban, it was very colorful and too, <laughs> and bright colors and all that. And that's what I used to say. I love it now because I also play percussion now and I'm able, able to play along with the music. But at that time as a young man, coming from a Cuban household that that's all you heard, you kind of wanted to escape from that. Yeah, yeah. And I think hip hop played that, that filler. And um, be, uh, I think uh, some people don't know that you're still out there today performing, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, we've been working since the year started and uh, we're going to work until the entire year is over. Uh, bookings everywhere. Our next show will be um, San Diego on the 27th. Hacienda Heights, we come back home, Hacienda Heights on the 28th, and then we go to El Paso, and we go all over. We, we just keep it moving. Yeah, so, so like, for anybody who's, like, a big Mellow Manes fan, you know, just look him up on, on his Instagram, check out his website, so you could stay, you know, with him and, and actually go see him live and perform, man, because a lot of us didn't get the chance to go see him, um, you know, when we were younger, but now we have the opportunity to watch him live and go support him that way. Thank you, man. Appreciate yeah, man. the plugs. <laughs> no Appreciate the plugs. So what do, you, what do you like to do on your free time when you're not out there performing? Um, I play golf, man. A lot? I play a lot of golf or I'm learning new tactics and new taps on the, on the drums, on the percussion. And um, during COVID, I was able to, aside from playing tons of golf, I, I took the time to, to say to myself, you know, hey, man, when this is over, what are you going to do differently on stage? You know, how can we get, how can we maximize on every opportunity when this is over in terms of being an entertainer, the entertainer side of me. Right. And I said, well, my friend is a, is a conga instructor. Why don't I take lessons from her? And, uh, this, uh, this lady, her name is Abby Losis who appeared on a record and a track with me for the cra uh, movie, crazy, beautiful, uh, song called Then La Fe. So she's teaching congas, and I'm like, wait a minute, why don't you learn how to play? Hit her up. She's like, yeah, let's do Wednesday, 7 p.m. at the studio, blah, blah, blah. I'll teach you what's up. Months in, I get the idea to add bongos to it because it's a very similar instrument. 
You play with your hands, you tap. It's just mini conga. So she's teaching me all these things. And um, a few months later, I, I said, hey, why don't you join me on stage when we go out this year? I think it'll be a great added um, feature to see a lady, a, a female conguera up there with me. And we'll tear shit up. We'll do, we'll do some routines and things of that nature. And I think we can really kill it. And not only that, but the price will go up. You know what I mean? <laughs> and now, eight months later, that's exactly what's what's happened. And I think it's added another uh, level of excitement for me to be able to always to, to perform again. You know, because you, you, you don't want to stay stagnant. And you don't want to be or stay a one-trick pony out yeah. there. You got to reinvent yourself, especially when you've been in the game as long as I have, 32 years or so, 35 if you count. My, the Mas Bingong single that came out in 87, about 35 years. And so how do you keep that excitement going? How do you keep people buying concert tickets? How do you keep people wanting to buy a T-shirt? You got to reinvent yourself. Yeah, most definitely. But then here's another thing that, that a lot of people don't know. Not only does he go out and perform, but he's a very talented guy, man. You, you have your own podcast. I do. And we film it actually right here. Right here. Right here where we're at today. Uh, shout out to my man Solomon and shout out to my man Michael Murray, who turned me on to Solomon and, and this place. And uh, it's called the Havana Lounge Podcast every Tuesday at 2 p.m. at Mellow Man Ace TV on YouTube. There you go, guys. Check him out. Subscribe to his channel. So, you know, give him as much support as possible. Give him those likes. Give him those views, man. You Appreciate know, you got to support him. Thank you. And um, um, I'm going to ask you a question. You don't have to answer if you don't want to. Right. I recently found out that in 2017, you had a little bit of a situation where uh, how, how are you doing now on that? You can say it. Go ahead. Say you it. had heart surgery. I did. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't. I didn't put it on social media because I always say, like, look, I love attention, but I don't like sympathy. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't. I'm not a sympathy seeker. And so I said nothing about it, and I instructed my family not to say anything about it. And um, but you know, now five years later, I you know I can talk about it. It was, it was a trip. You know, to just black out from one second to the next to not knowing what happened to you. And, yeah. You know, I happened to be out back in my in my house and I was smoking a cigarette and I was sitting. I had the door open to the truck and I'm just leaning up against the seat. The next thing you know, like without warning, I just fell. When I came to, I'm laying almost underneath my truck, you know, and. And my girlfriend had run out, and she was like, what happened, what happened? I'm like, I don't know what happened. So we raced to the hospital, and lo and behold, I had had a, a mini heart attack. And so they took me in and um, worked on me uh, and uh, put me back on the street. Like the next day, two days later, it's amazing the technology they have now. You know, like they – I had what's what's called basically like an entry-level heart attack. Okay. And um, they said, if you want a heart attack, this is the one to get. You know what I mean? Yeah, they told yeah, me that. Yeah. They told me that. And so, you know, it's, 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 it's a trip, man. One of the things that happen in life, man. You know, when you get up up there now, at that time I was 50 years old. Um, it just gives you like a warning, like, yo, you got to change some things, yeah. you know, moving forward. And you have to make lifestyle changes at a certain time. You can't keep wilding out like you're in your 20s or 30s all the time. Yeah, I know. And the hardest part, I think, for me is changing, was changing 
changing what I eat, my food habits. Because uh, when I get worried, I'm a foodie. I mm -hmm. become a foodie, and I love bacon, you know. And I used to eat red meat breakfast, lunch, and dinner, man. You know what I mean? And um, and when I realized that I just can't be doing that because a lot of the meat is pumped up with hormones, and those hormones go right to your arteries and clog them. And so when I learned that, you know, I was able to – I didn't like it, but I changed a lot of what I do and what I eat, you know what I mean? And I think for me it works well. And then, you know, discovering that if you have warm water with lemon in the morning, it becomes like a liquid draino for yeah. your arteries. Just learning a whole bunch of, you know, new facts and shit like that that was able to uh, open my eyes to how the importance of eating healthy, you know. Because, look, I come from the Caribbean. In the Caribbean, we eat a lot of fruit, mangoes, um, peaches, bananas, and all these things, fruits and vegetables, right? There's not much else. Yeah. Red meat's not really part of it. You know, um, if you do get it, especially in Cuba, it was like once a month, you know? Um, so when you get to this country and you have all of the things accessible to you, you know, you kind of go off. You know, McDonald's, Jack in the Box, Taco Bell, you know I mean? This one, that one. And you forget the health implications of what all this intake does to you, you know what I mean? And and I had to re-educate myself and, and start to care again, you know, and, and I, back, back. <laughs> Stronger back. than ever, huh? Well, I don't know, man. I still, you know, have my moments. I need my tequila and, and, and a beer chaser, you know, too, you know. So it's tough, man. And it's just you got to do certain things gradually, you know. Yeah. And and get rid of some of some of the things like drinking sodas all the time. Yeah, that's that's my kryptonite right there. Is it really? Yeah. Yeah, the amounts of sugar that are in these things. And if you don't work out, then it turns into fat and all these other things. And for me, you know, performing has I think has saved my life so far because you know, you gotta maintain at least photo weight if you're mellow man <laughs> My man Candyman says this all the time. Mellow, as long as we maintain in that photo weight, we're gonna be all right. And so I, I try to maintain my photo weight. And um, what this means is don't balloon too far to the point where if you turn frontwards, you're so big that people go, that's a fat ass nigga. You know what I mean? So that's basically what it means. That's what it means. And, and so, you know, we stay conscious of that stuff, you know? You know what? It's it's funny that you say that because, like, in, in certain angles, I could fake the funk. Yeah. I'd be like, oh, he's not as fat. But then I do it from the side. like, yeah. oh, yeah, he's fat. Yeah. But then, then I also do what what's, like, skinny face, right? I work out to the point where just <laughs> just my face gets skinny, and I'll be like, yeah. all right, I'm cool. And then when yeah. I start developing the, the double chin again, I'm yeah. like, I got to go start running. Yeah. No, I mean, it happens, man. I, I've, I've had a battle with the bulge my whole career, you know, and uh, – I have a treadmill in my house, and sometimes I, I'm on it. Sometimes dust collects on it, spider webs, you know. But um, when you realize, man, I'm messing up, you can get back to it. It's, it's there for me. And I just recently started again uh, yesterday, so I still have to do my workout today. You should come out and do a workout with me. Where? Uh, right here in Long Beach. 
zombies. Yeah, man. What are we doing? Dodging crips, running down the street. What are we doing? We're chasing the taco guy. No. Chasing the taco man. <laughs> no, Get man. Down. We'll, we'll do like a, a little a one mile and a half little jog. I don't know maybe, about jogging. Maybe some jump ropes. All right. We'll figure it out. Yeah, we'll, we'll figure we'll, it out. We'll, and, then, and then we'll go eat some tacos. We'll have we'll have an official <laughs> Defeat tacos. Defeat the purpose. <laughs> we'll have an actual right tacos work. Uh, yeah. Tacos and workouts day. You know, some people were like, what? I'm like, no, it's an actual tacos and workouts day. Look, tacos and workouts, it's not just the name of my show. It's a lifestyle. It's what you do. That's what I do. That's what I tell people. But listen, I want to talk about um, your wine. I think, uh, you know, the doctor told you that red wine was good for you. Yeah. And you you have your own uh, wine, um, you know, which is right here. Yeah. That's that's your wine right there. It is. Yeah. Tell us about your wine. How'd you get started? Um... Coming into 2020, uh, New Year's Eve, myself and Rodney O, uh, my, my legendary brother Rodney O, we were booked to perform a concert in Napa Valley. And Napa Valley is wine country. So after my set, the promoter came up to me and said, hey, man, we're about to bring in the new year and everybody's about to celebrate. What do you want to drink? And I was like, give me a bottle of red wine. And and he started kind of laughing, like, <laughs> you know, like, what kind of like function you're, is you're that? You're kidding, you know I mean? like, yeah, you, right. want, you want the Patron, you want the tequila, right. what, what you want? We're going to party up in here. Yeah, exactly, yeah. for real. Come on now, for real, you know? Like, I said, nah, for real, what's going on? He's like, no, nah, it's just that most rappers want Hennessy or Gervasier, Don Patron, Julio, and all that. I said, I used to, man, but I had a heart attack three years ago at that time. And my doctor said I should drink wine. And he goes, well, why don't you start your own wine company? Now, remember, we're in Napa Valley where it's all vineyards surrounding the venue, the surrounding, the whole county is, you know, vineyards all over the place. And I'm thinking to myself, well, because I don't have millions of dollars to pump into Mm -hmm. this thing. And so he goes, no, you don't need millions. Long story short, he starts convincing me little by little. Then I come home right before COVID starts. He's sending me brochures and pamphlets and all this. And I'm still thinking millions. You know what I mean? I got to pump millions into this thing. And uh, he showed me a way that we where we could start the company and uh, it wouldn't take millions, you know. And he said, look, man, if you can sell a pallet of wine, you got a company. You you could you, you know what I mean? You could do this. I said, well, how much is a pallet of wine? He goes, well, that's 52 cases. Cases. How many in a case? He says 12. So 52 cases of wine. If you think, and you're saying that if I can get them off, I I can, you know, pretty much have a company. That's what you're saying to me. He says, yeah. I said, well, how much should I sell my wines at? He says, that's up to you. You know, I've seen them as low as $5 and they can go up to, you know, $350 or whatever, you know, depending on how good and the quality of the fruits are. And so he starts sending samples down to a buddy that he had here in L.A. And I'd go over there every so often. Now COVID is full blown. Yeah. So I'd go over there and taste the the, the, the fruits that he would send, the samples. And I picked, I was, I didn't know it then, but I was picking my flavors. I didn't know it. I'm like, nah, I don't like this one. Nah, I like this one. Nah, I don't like this one. Yeah, I like this one. Next thing you know, it's like, okay, man, talk to me about dollar-wise. You know, 
He said, well, I think you can get started for about 20K. 20K to get your first pallet. That's your initial investment. Initial investment. That's not with labeling. That's not, you know what I mean? I said, okay. And, um, you know, dug into this one account, started pulling out the funds, and and we moved it around. And lo and behold, what you have is Havana Wines. And uh, we're in our second, going on our third year now. I started with the Merlot. And everything had to be like, like either make sense in my world. Like, in other words, I wanted to name everything after myself or hip-hop-based things. Yeah. And uh, I'm happy to say I started with the Mellow Merlot. I went to the Mellow Moscato. Then I ran out of M's. So I got the, the Cabernet Sauvignon, which is dedicated to the birth year of hip-hop, 1973. And I have what's called the Padrino Pino Grigio. Because I'm the Godfather, right? That's right. And then we're working on the Reyes Rose right now, which that's Rose, my last name. Wow, last look at name. you. Not Rose, but Reyes. Okay. Rose de los Reyes. Okay, but it's gonna be like a like a, a reddish pinkish right. wine, right? For right. like we're, all- we've been, we've been working on that one for a minute now, and mm-hmm. I think it's we're almost there. Yeah, it's very popular with the housewives, right? Yeah, absolutely. Right, yeah. Women love the rosé. <laughs> Where's the camera at? Yeah. Right there. Yeah. What's right up, there. ladies? You love the rosé, don't you? <laughs> yeah, man, that, that's that's awesome, man. Man, you're doing a lot, man, and people just don't yeah. know. We, and that's why we're here. We're here to let them know, you know, where, well, yeah. where Mallow's at, you know, what he's been doing this last couple of years. Yeah. And you know what? Um, you know, he's got his podcast. He's got his, his wine. I, I, yeah, I mean, the other thing, bro, was... I looked at the marijuana and the weed lane, uh-huh. and two things occurred. It was oversaturated with every rapper wanting his own weed. And the other thing was those dudes weren't willing to share the information that it takes to get your uh, your, your your thing started, your, your yeah. brand started, your, um, your grow house or whatnot. Yeah. And they were really hoarding of the information, but these wine guys were way more receptive. Now... Um, it is a, it is a, an expensive endeavor, you know what I mean? To take on and, um, but you know, one that I'm having fun with and I, and I want to thank Raza and hip hop culture for, for supporting the brand. Um, in my first, in my first week of coming out with the 52 fucking cases, the palette, we sold out and I was, I had to reorder and. We sold out again. I had to reorder again, and we sold out again. And um, I, it's just amazing how people have gravitated to it. Yeah, I mean, I have so many return customers, clients, wine clients, and, and people that have supported the brand. And, um, you know, I have certain people like uh, Alicia Carrillo down in, uh, in San Dimas area out there. She just, you know. During COVID and now even after COVID, um, then there's people such as I have a client out in Palmdale um, by the name of, of uh, I'm forgetting her name. She's going to kill me. <laughs> Maybe she doesn't want me to even say it. I'll just call her Nika because that's what she is. Okay. And uh, return. I mean, just I need more. I need more. Or then I have another client, younger younger lady in, in – uh, Lancaster area um and it's just it's just so many of them you know they want more and they want more Stacy is her name okay um by the box you know what I mean it's been a blessing 
But that says something about your product, you know, that, that now that people know about it, they keep on coming back. That's well, yeah, how I mean, good it is. No, thank you. I appreciate that. I mean, this is not lower lower level wine, you know. This is mid to top shelf fruits that, you know, have been picked and selected, you know. So I'm proud of what I was able to accomplish so far with this, um, you know, because wine drinkers are a lot like marijuana smokers. They're real picky. They want to know, is it ingrown? Did you grow it inside, outdoor, hand-picked? Did you, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. What type of seed it is, and is that, you know what I mean? And the same with the wine drinkers. They're real specific, you know. Was it grown in the, I mean, was it was it prepped in the, in the barrel? Was it outdoor? You know what I mean? They want to know the same kind of differences. Um, what kind of fruits are in there? How long did it sit? You know what I mean? All these things. So you have to be educated when you talk to them. Cause they're real picky and it's a difference between a sale or a no sale. Yeah. I totally, I totally understand. Well, listen, I don't want to take too much of your time. Um, I thank you for coming out here and letting everybody know, um, you know, where you've been at and what you've been up to for all those people who, who didn't know. Now they know what it is, what it is with Malo Menace. Now, thank you for the lame. Bro. Yeah, man. No problem. I just want to leave them with saying, you know, to find me, you could just catch me on Instagram, mellow underscore man, underscore ace. Or on Facebook is the Mellow Man Ace. The wine you can find it at HavanaWines.co. Um, that is the website. And uh, holla. All right, there you go. We'll catch you guys later. <laughs>